They're here, everyone. They are the smart kids at the shops with their mothers or fathers, riding their bikes around the streets and playing down by the river, as well as talking to their friends on their smartphones. Join the smart kids each week as they discover, explore, and solve the mysteries of today. Here's your host, J.T. Crowley. Hello, and welcome to Podcast 15. Now, last week, I took you to Canada, to be precise, Quebec City. And there we met Milena and all the issues that she was facing and where she chatted to Prime Minister Trudeau about what he's going to do about the homeless and vulnerable people. If you've gone on to read the story, you'll see, oh, wow, she wasn't expecting that answer. But he did give her some guidance to which she took. Anyway... That was Malena in Quebec City. And if you ever go to Quebec City, it's a beautiful city. It really is. But the best time to go is in the fall. We see all the trees, leaves, they change their colours to the wonderful colours of gold and scarlet. It's spectacular in the fall. Best time would be late September, early October. Now I'm here to talk about Malena this week. We're here because I said I'm taking you to Tibet. Or Technically speaking, it's the Tibetan Autonomous Region of China. And it's here that we meet Yeshe. Now, Yeshe is my 11-year-old little Tibetan Buddhist boy. And the story really is about his life being torn from the ancient customs of the Tibetan people, their nomadic ways of life, to the, the modern way of a life that you see in, in Lasha with the modern lights, and he can see the world beyond. So yes, he's trying to follow a little bit the ways of the old Tibetan ways, because that's what his father wants, but he's got different views because he's a young boy, and he wants to do different things, and it gets him into conflict with his father and his family. But the story is going to take you to the roof of the world on the Tibetan plateau. And Yeshe comes from the Dropka people, a very ancient tribe of people. They're nomads. They wander around uh, with their cattle, their livestock, their sheep, their goats, their yaks. And they're in the pasture lands high up in the Tibetan plateau. And, and they're also, the, you know, they don't actually stay in one place. That's why they're nomads, because once the grasses have gone, they move on to fresher pastures. And they just keep moving and they set up their homes as they go along. But for Yeshe, he wants to probably have a different life. Um, a life, you know, with more the modern world in place. And that's really the story. It's the conflict of a young Tibetan boy who is trying to follow the Tibetan ways. Now, in Tibet's um, traditions... Uh, the, sometimes the second son of the family is sent to the monasteries to be a Buddhist monk. And so he's sent. And it's not what he really wants. And so the story t- is telling you all about how he um, escapes uh, out of the monastery to punish his father for being underhanded to sending him to the monasteries, to the lamas. Anyway... That's just a little brief insight to the story. 
Now, every week I say to you that I will read you part of the story so you can get a little tease, a little insight into the story itself. So I'm going to do that. And then I will take my views as to why I wrote the story, how the story came about, and talk to you a little bit about the Dalai Lama and how he managed to escape into India from the hands of the Chinese authorities. Anyway, here comes a little bit of the story. This is Yeshe. Autumns on the high Tibetan plateau, often referred to as the roof of the world, were dry, cool and pleasant. The grasses were still green and fresh from the summer rains and not yet covered by the harsh winter snows. For Yeshe's family, their nomadic way of life was hard as they followed their herds of yak, cattle, sheep and goats. Every few weeks the family would pack up their belongings and move to better pastures. Yeshe's people were known as Drogpas, simply for the nomadic lifestyle they followed. But for Yeshe's generation, the traditional ways of his forefathers were disappearing as modern life, with its technology and globalisation, seeped deeper into Tibetan customs. What Yeshe wanted from life as an 11-year-old boy and what his parents wanted from him were very different, which led to numerous family conflicts. The bright city lights of Lasha and the world beyond had started to call, and what they had to offer him, in stark contrast to a simple yak tent herding yaks and goats, had no comparison. A compromise was needed, and that came in the form of a split agreement. For six months of the year, mainly late spring through to early autumn, Yashe would live with his parents and younger siblings high in the Tibetan plateau around the Tangula Mountains in the Nengorm County, tending their livestock. But for the rest of the year, he lived with his elder brother's family in a second-floor flat in the Zhiamalinka district of Lasha. The small group of ten families that owned the various livestock had lived side by side for years. Each family had their own tent made of black yak wool that was tied and draped around wooden poles. Yeshe was always amazed how quickly the family home could be dismantled and erected, loaded and unloaded, on and off the trailer, pulled by two of their horses. Every time they assembled a home, it would be set out in the traditional way. An earthy fireplace positioned in the middle would be the sole source providing heat and the means to cook. Rugs and blankets would be scattered all around the floor, Sleeping arrangements were simple. Men on the left side of the circular tent, women on the right. At the back, mainly on the men's side, a small space was put aside to create a shrine area where the family statues of Buddha and other local deities they worshipped were displayed. Any pieces of traditional jewellery would also be put on show. Yeshe woke early. He spent the night, as he usually did when the weather was fine, huddled with his friends under a pile of brightly coloured woollen quilted blankets under the open skies. Sitting up for a few brief moments before tossing the blankets aside, he looked at the Tangula Mountains in the near distance. They were majestic mountains in the near distance. They were fabulous. Oh, the, the plateau was just wonderful at this time of the year. Their peaks, still covered in snow, had the odd, thin, wispy strand of cirrus cloud floating above them. 
the herds of yaks and cattle had spread themselves far and wide over the plateau. With an extensive yawn and a stretch, he got to his feet. As he got up, he shook the family dog that was lying to his left, as if to say, Well, I'm up, then so you should be. Now, Tibetan mastiffs were large, powerful dogs, bred to protect the family and the livestock from unwanted visitors, like the occasional Chinese authorities trying to confiscate their jewellery and animals in lieu of taxes, and the local wildlife predators, like the square-faced Tibetan fox, from attacking the sheep and goats. Your average Tibetan Mastiff was not a cuddly pet that you could toy around with. They were working dogs that had a fearsome reputation, so commanded respect. The snarl and growl followed by a sharp cuff across Yeshe's lower back legs from a large paw was a clear message of disapproval. Yeshe winced. Looking down, he saw the inflicted gashes. The drawn blood had started to trickle down the inside of his leg. Scowling with rage, Yeshe quickly scanned the ground to see what sharp object was close to hand, that he could hurl at the dog as a means of a swift retaliation. Still enraged, and not being able to place his hands on a suitable weapon, he merely glared at the Tibetan Mastiff before stomping off to the nearby stream to clean his wounds. There was no point complaining to his father, for all he would say is, well, that shouldn't have, you shouldn't have aggregated the dog. As he headed off to the stream, he stopped briefly to pick up his clothes that had lain strewn around the ground in the exact place where he had discarded them the night before. Walking back from the stream, Yashe could see that his mother was up and had lit a fire, evidence made by the wisps of smoke emerging from the smoke hole at the top of the tent. Other nearby tents were showing signs of early movement, as more and more wispy trails gently billowed into the light morning breeze. Today, for this small group of nomads encamped on the high Tibetan plateau, it was a strategic day as the decision had been taken to move the camp and all the livestock further south near Nagu. It would take a few hours to dismantle the tents and load all the belongings onto the wooden trailers. With the women attending to the tents, Yeshe and some of his friends, along with their fathers, embarked on rounding up the various livestock. The wild horses, with their free-spiritedness coursing through their veins, would prove to be the most challenging to round up. Even for the most experienced horsemen among them, it would take cunning and skill to catch them and keep them under control over the next few days. Yeshe was excited, as he was bored here. This simple but hard way of life wasn't for him. He wanted to be back in Lasher with his real friends at school, to be able to log on to his laptop to see what was happening in the world. So as you can see, guys, you can see there's already a, a bit of a conflict um, you know, going on here. He's hinting at, you know, yes, he's following his father's and parents' wish, to follow their Tibetan ways, but he's really looking to the modern lights, the modern ways of Lasha and the world beyond. And this is some of the content, you know, the um, uh, issues that some of the uh, Tibetan youngsters have, trying to please their parents, you know, with the traditional ways, 
but really looking to a brighter and, and a different future. Um, and I suppose that's really why I wrote the story, because in this podcast, there isn't so much as why I wrote it. So I'm just going to cover that off, you know, just here. But, you know, as I say to you every week, if you like the story, if you've liked what you've heard, and you're, you're loving the other stories that I've read to you, um, all the other 14 by now, I say to you, you can go online onto Amazon.com and you can go and get the book. Uh, or if you prefer a Kindle version, you can download the Kindle version. And I do say to you now, um, kids, guys, if you uh, are liking the stories, and go onto my Facebook page, JT Crowley Books, and go and like the page. I uh, really appreciate that. And, and when you go on there, you'll see um, all the images of all the previous um, stories on there. You can click on them. You can list them. They will take you to the podcast. But again, all the podcasts are available on Spotify. They're available on Apple. They're available on Google and on iHeartRadio, as well as Web Talk Radio. So the podcast, you can go and listen, kids, to uh, the stories you know, on a lot of places. And I hope you are. I know that hundreds of you are listening on Web Talk Radio, and I just hope there's just as many listening on all the other outlets as well. But so let's come to um, the age range that I wrote this story for. Well, it's really 9 to 13, but as I say, never misjudge a child because every child is different, unique. And so. I know there'll be bright eight-year-olds out there who'll be going, well, I can read this story as well. I say to you, go and read it. How did the story come about? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting point. Um, and it really goes back to uh, when I was at school, when I was that age, 10 or 11. And I can remember doing a topic in geography classes, uh, the top end of primary school, and I chose to do Tibet. And I just thought it was a fascinating place. So when I looked at my world map, I thought, wow, that looks a place that I would like to, to look at. Um, so I, I you know, had a look at Tibet and read up a few stories and found a few bits of information about it. And I thought, wow. And it's, it's a fascinating place, but it's a place that's had, you know, like lots of places around the world, uh, lots of issues, lots of um, challenges. And, of course, up until, um, ooh, you know, in the 1950s, uh, Tibet was its own independent country. Um, but it's... And, of course, its leader, its spiritual leader then, was the Dalai, Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama today is the 14th Dalai Lama in the, in the series of Dalai Lamas. And they used to live in, um, in Lasha. That's where they were based, the Dalai Lamas. And the Dalai Lama had, um, if you go to Lasha, there are two palaces. The, the Patala Palace is the, the Winter Palace. That's the big palace where you see all the pictures taken. Um, it's the most famous of the uh, two palaces. But there is a Summer Palace, the Norbrishling Palace, uh, which is just, just a bit further down the road to it. But the Tibetan way of life, the beautiful colours of their clothes, the... 
and the spectacular Himalayas, the mountains, the scenery is just simply breathtaking. And that's really what appealed to me when I was looking, when I was at the age of 11, um, you know, to looking at Tibet. And I've always had a fascination with um, Tibet. And yes, these days it's now part of China and it's known as the autonomous Tibetan Autonomous Region of China. How did I come across Tibet? And apart from that, when I was 11, I was at school, fascinated there. But if you remember, I went to Nepal in 2001, and that's why I put the couch on Jala. Now, Tibet is just across the border, north of Nepal. And when I was in Nepal, I... You know, we, we got close when we was going up to um, Mount Everest. You could see signs and road signs saying, you know, for Tibet, you know, um, your Tibetan autonomous region of China. And I thought, oh, it would be fascinating to go there. Have I been? Not yet. Will I go? Oh, most definitely. It's another one on the bucket list. I've always been fascinated as well with the Dalai Lama. And when I was writing this story, I had to learn all about the uh, traditions, uh, a little bit of the, the Buddhist way of life, the prayer wheels, um, you know, the, what Buddhism means. And I just thought it was fascinating. But the, we all see in the world today the Dalai Lama as the spiritual leader of you know, Buddhism. And it's... I just thought it was a fascinating story, and that's why I put it in the story, that um, the, the Chinese authorities really didn't, they wanted to take hold of Tibet, or, you know, to bring it into their own Chinese um, hands. And of course, the Dalai Lama was a, a significant figure, and he was opposing that. And there's a date... And it's the 17th of March, 1959. And that is the day that the Dalai Lama had to flee from um, his homeland in Lasha, disguised as a simple soldier on horseback. And to avoid detection, he and a few of his entourage, who was a few of his family, uh, went across the Himalayas at night time. And the journey was about 14, 15 days. And... They settled in Dar es Salaam, which is where the present 14th Dalai Lama and the, how should I say it, the Tibetan government in exile um, sit, um, you know, have their, um, have their place, have their authority. And if you ever go there, it's a fascinating place. So the whole thing is absolutely fascinating. In the story, I also take you not only just to where Yashik comes and meets you know, the Dalai Lama, goes across the Himalayas, he gets a, an insight as to the route the Dalai Lama took. I have for a long time been all fascinated with China and the Forbidden City. And if you go on Wikipedia, go and have a look at what the Forbidden City is all about. It's the former home of the emperors of China. It is an amazing place, and now it's a national museum. Um, and I thought, how am I going to bring this into the story? Because, and I thought, ah, 
In the story, Yeshe's father underhandedly sends him to the monasteries. And this Yeshe very much opposes. But he's only 11 boys, so he doesn't have much of a choice. So to punish his father, he escapes with the help of his Chinese friend, Ying Hei. Now that's unique in itself because the Tibetan uh, people and the Chinese people, especially the youngsters and the, or the older people, so not the youngsters, still have um, misgivings about each other. So it's very rare for, uh, for me to give uh, Yeshe, the Tibetan boy, a Chinese friend. But I did it deliberately to, um, to show that, you know, people from different parts of the world, different heritage, can be friends, can work together, can live side by side. But it's the story of how he escapes. And now there is a, a fabulous railway line that goes all the way from Lasha to Beijing. And I thought, I need to put this railway line in. And I also wanted to talk about the Forbidden City. Ah, so I came up with the idea as a punishment, Yeshe's punishment to his father, was that he escapes. And he runs off on the train, which takes you all across China into the Forbidden City. And it's here then that because I got him there, I can talk about the Forbidden City. I can take you kids around the Forbidden City and I can take you all across China with the fabulous railway line. Uh, which takes days to travel on. It's a fascinating and imaginative story, which I thoroughly enjoyed writing. This is the whole point of the book, is to take you kids around the world and show you different sites, different things for you to go and look at. Go on um, Google Earth, go and have a look at the Forbidden City, go and have a look at Lasher, um, the Patala Palace, the Summer Palace, Go and have a look at the Tangula Mountains. Go and have a look at the Himalayas. Have a look on Wikipedia at the route that the Dalai Lama took from Lasha into northern India. Go and have a look at the uh, place where the Dalai Lama stays now, in Dar Shalam, in northern India. It's a fascinating and, oh, wonderful place. So this is the whole idea of the of this story is kids to take you around the world to see that different kids lead different lives. I have, as I said to you, when I do most of the stories, I've, I have a thought for you or questions. Now, this time I've got some questions for you as opposed to thoughts. What did Ying Hei's father do for a living in the story? So you've got to go and read the story to find out to answer that one. Uh, so, with how many hours does it take the train to travel from Lasha to Beijing? Again, you're going to have to read the story. And the Patala Palace was the winter palace for the Dalai Lama. In the story, I'll tell you what is the name of the summer palace. Go and have a look and see what it's called. And finally, I've already dropped this hint. What was Yeshe's people known as? Now, you should have 15 stickers on your, your world map. And as I said, go and Google Earth or any other app and go and have a look at the Tibetanist Tibet, the autonomous region of China, however you want to refer to it. Go and look at the place. It's fascinating. But next week, I am going to take you to the United States of America. And it's here that we're going to meet Kaimana and Diani. Now, 
Kaimana and Diane are Native Americans. And Kaimana is from the Shoshone tribe and Diane is from the Cheyenne. And I'm also talking to you about Yellowstone Park. That's where they come from. Um, they befriend a wolf, which they call Three Socks. And they go to the... And Kaimana goes to the Kennedy Space Center. Why does she go there? Well, wait and see. This is another amazing story. Different kids telling a different story, guys. Hope to see you next week uh, when in the United States of America... But for now, this is me, JT Crowley, signing off and saying to you, as I say most weeks, I hope, you know, wherever you're watching, listening to the podcasts, looking at the videos, I hope you stay safe. But have fun, kids. Just like my characters. So until I see you in Yellowstone Park in the United States of America, have a great time, guys. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to The Smart Kids. Want to follow more of their adventures? Check out The Smart Kids by J.T. Crowley on Amazon.com now.